0: Many individuals try to find success on a daily basis. But what defines this success? Where does it come from? When you find a passion in your life and pursue this passion, everything can come together to form success. This is Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. Our guests will motivate you to take the next step to your success. Now, here's your host, David Wallach.
1: Good morning, you all, and welcome to our first weekly episode of Taking Care of Business in 2018. I hope you all had a good holiday season. My family and I sure had, uh, spending time together and celebrating the new year, which we hope brings many blessings to all of us. My first guest in 2018 is Scott Hutchison, co-founder and executive chairman of the board of Aspen Properties, a privately held real estate company based in Calgary, Aspen Properties and its partners own and operate over 2.65 million square feet of office space, including the iconic Calgary Tower, and over 2,300 parking stalls. Good morning, Scott, and good. thank you for being my guest this chilly Calgary morning. Good morning, sir. Uh, you know, let's warm up a little bit before we get into the serious questions. So, two questions about uh, how did you spend your uh, holiday season. So, how did you spend your holiday season? How Was it a
2: good time? I had 22 22- Uh, young adults between the ages of 18 and 24 uh, at our ski chalet, all over the place, uh, (laughs) skiing for six days and drinking at night. Oh, thanks for not
1: calling. (laughs) Um, And, and, you know, I I want to kind of put the end of the show at the front and ask you one simple question. Everybody in today's world is doing the 2018 resolutions. What is your one personal resolution you can share
2: with us? Well, we went personal quickly there, yeah. didn't we? <laughs> um, my, my, uh, my intention is to remove profanity, to be more precise, and to meet, be more direct through my language, through the English language. So I think we get lazy over time with the English language, and I want to be able to articulate better with, uh, without profanity without exaggeration, and to work on uh, on how I speak in a direct way as a, as a friend and a businessman.
1: So basically, you don't want to be Canadian anymore and be polite.
2: Eh? Just say it eh? just say it the way it is, right? <laughs> eh? <laughs> uh,
1: so let me share with our listeners some of your bio. Uh, prior to co-founding Espen Properties, Scott was employed by Goldman Sachs as an investment banker. Uh, Scott also served as president of a real estate partnership in Florida. He's a very active member of the community, serving on many boards, and we'll discuss it later. Uh, And he also served on five public companies uh, on on their board, as well as an officer uh, of three TSX companies. Uh, Very busy schedule, I guess. Mm. Between 1978 and 1982, uh, Scott was a member of the Canadian Alpine Ski Team, a first-team All-American NCAA athlete, and a member of four NCAA Championships ski teams. Scott earned a Master of Science degree from Columbia University and Bachelor of Science from University of Utah. Is that because of ski? Utah? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was my guess. (laughs) Uh, He has been named one of Alberta's most 50 influential people by Alberta Venture Magazine. Scott is a proud father of two boys, Parker and Avery. So, Scott. Um, I shared a little bit of your bio, which is a long bio, but it's time to get to know you better and, mm-hmm. and get our listeners to know where you
2: where are you from? Um, I'm from a little town north of Toronto, a couple hours, a town of 3,000 people, and uh, it's called Huntsville. It's in the, the lake country referred to as Muskoka in Ontario. Grew up there as a.
1: 3,000 today or 3,000 50 years ago? 3,050
2: years ago. And 3,000 today? No, it's about 60,000 today. Oh, wow. Yeah, mostly summer residents. I see. People that come from Toronto and migrate north. So that's where you spend your childhood and uh, mm-hmm. young adult years? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You couldn't misbehave in that town because everybody knew everybody. And if you misbehaved, everybody, every parent had the right to spank you. <laughs> <laughs> I see. So what kind of kid were you? Were you spanked or uh, were you a good boy? I was, uh, I had some of both. I think I had an edge. I know I had an edge that that drove me as a competitor, Uh, but I generally lived between the lines. Uh, Most of the time lived between the lines. I, I quickly learned that every time I misbehaved, when you threw the eraser at me in the classroom and you hit me, I'd pick up the eraser to go throw it back at you. And the teacher turned around before <laughs> before I actually unre- unleashed my arm, and so I learned pretty early that I had a, I had a an edgy side to me, but if I misbehaved, I always got caught. <laughs>
1: That's uh, there was always that kid in class which uh, really saved me over here many years. <laughs> um, it was ski always your number one mm-hmm. sport,
2: mm-hmm. so it started with a young age. I was I was. Uh, I was eight and my father put me in a ski race and promised that if I would go in that ski race he'd buy me whatever I wanted. And I didn't seize on that opportunity with the big lofty goal. I asked him for a super ball, which he which which was a ball that SO gas stations gave away with a full tank full tank of gas. <laughs> and uh, I was very nervous and I went in this ski ski race and and uh, and I won it and um, and as a result of that, you, you know, we all gravitate towards things that make us uh, feel good about ourselves. And so after winning that first ski race, I got a bug and I spent my entire childhood dreaming about making the Canadian ski team. So ski
1: was the only sport that you kind of uh, focused on or did you... Uh no. participate in other sports as well. Yeah,
2: I, I, I competed at a high level in lacrosse, um, Junior A, Junior B, Junior C lacrosse, uh, and captained our local team. Um, I loved soccer. I played a bunch of soccer. I played basketball. I ran some track. Um, any sport that would have me, I'd, I would pick up. But lacrosse was my big summer sport, and, uh, and skiing, obviously, my big winter sport.
1: So I guess that if I uh, connect with some of your childhood friends, they will say competitive guy. Yes. <laughs> what a <laughs> shocker. Uh, any other kind of uh, things you've done as a young kid? Did you get some uh, work uh, like a, after a study or after skiing job that you made some money on the side?
2: Yeah, I, I did everything that I could to make money on the side. I, I, um, I, I worked for my father's in a field in the summer, pruning Christmas trees. So Christmas trees don't grow in the shape that you'd want them to. They grow wild. And so my father had a business that both his own Christmas trees and others, and he'd have uh, young adults in the field, um, brutal job. I mean, we would be on the field at at 5.30 before the sun came up, and we'd be um, shaping Christmas trees for 12 hours a day in this hot, humid Ontario summers and your arm would be swollen. You'd use a machete to shape these trees. It was it was a good training ground to make me decide that I didn't want to be uh, in the fields uh, and I would need an education at some point <laughs> to get out of the fields as a laborer. <laughs> so, so you mentioned that
1: your uh, uh, dad had a business. Um, so in, is entrepreneurship run in the mm-hmm.
2: family? Yes. Um, my great-grandfather... Uh, was a logger, and he had a big logging business with hundreds of employees. Uh, and we're talking what year? Uh, so he would have been uh, at the helm of that business in the early 1900s. And the the community that I grew up in was really um, uh, built up around the logging business and a hardwood flooring company. And my grandfather became the president of the Lumbermen's Association for Canada so um i and then my father uh owned christmas tree plantations and um and and then the gravel and was in the gravel business so i grew up eating entrepreneurial conversation at breakfast lunch and dinner and uh and and business was a subject that was was consistently part of my my childhood um and so, four generations of of entrepreneurship has has come about my my past. And your siblings are they are they entrepreneurs or less than you? I have an older brother that's an entrepreneur. My older sister was a model, so I guess she you know was an independent that worked for herself. And then I have a younger brother that's uh, uh, more an executive for um, very large uh, uh, company okay. in Canada. I see. Yeah. Um, so, you went to University of Utah just because of ski, right? Well, I was recruited to go, mm-hmm. and they would pay for my education. So, I was on a ski scholarship, an athletic scholarship to ski for the ski team. And uh, for me, that was really important because I left the Canadian ski team. I wanted to get an education, and my education could be paid for through the university if I skied for the program. and and you really have a hard time after being an athlete that's 100% dedicated to a sport to give it up right away. Yeah. So the opportunity to go and ski race and sort of phase out my professional uh, career, if you will, as, a, as an athlete um, was, was doubly appealing. What kind of ski did you do, by the way? Giant slalom, slalom alpine skiing, downhill skiing. Okay. I'm
1: not a skier, so yeah. I, need to, I need to a little bit to learn about that.
2: Right. Um,
1: and uh, you graduate University of Utah, and then what? Did you go straight to Columbia,
2: or did you get a job first? I, I went to Goldman Sachs. Oh, I that's under- when you
1: went to Goldman yeah. Sachs.
2: So I came out of my undergrad with a finance degree and interviewed in New York City and uh, got an offer with Goldman Sachs after what I think was 23 interviews. They, they really put you through quite a process and um, and they have a junior program that that it's called an analyst program and they they bring you in for two years and then they kick you out of Goldman Sachs and you go back to school and in those days we had 64 financial analysts from around the world and then after two years my class gets sent to, sent back to graduate school and uh, and most of the the, the, the junior, Investment bankers got to go to Ivy Leagues, and uh, Columbia was my choice, and and uh, so I went to Columbia University after Goldman Sachs for a master's degree. I see. And uh, when did you start kind of uh,
1: phasing into real estate?
2: Well, I I was at Goldman, and I I was in New York City, looking out the window, and seeing these beautiful glass towers in Manhattan, and I. I didn't love what I was doing as an investment banker. I was an agent to something. You know, I was an intermediary. I was in the service business. And I wanted to do something that was that was meaningful, that I got to touch, that I got to feel, and I got to take from the beginning to the end. And I fell in love with office buildings while in New York City. So when I went back to, to graduate school at Columbia, I did a master's in real estate development at Columbia University, which tells you all about the real estate business and how to develop office towers and that the nature of, of the real estate business.
1: And you had also, uh, you were a president of a real estate company or a real estate partnership in Florida. How did that work mm-hmm. you
2: being in New York and Florida and mm-hmm. why Florida? So, so after Columbia, I went back to Toronto. So I went back to the country that I'm from. Uh, I got a job in Toronto with a, a very entrepreneurial spirit. And he had partners, uh, or we did, with uh, Warburg Pincus and, and Warburg and then Yale University Endowment Fund. Uh, and the partnerships bought uh, some golf course communities. Uh, of which I was sent to go and, and, and run one of the golf course communities in Florida. And so I spent about five years in Florida. Working Playing with, golf? Uh, <laughs> a tiny bit of golf. I didn't play golf. I still don't play it well. It's a hard sport. Okay? <laughs> and and uh, as a young guy, I got to run my own deal in Florida. So it was a very good experience. But at some point for me, I still had in my blood what my great grandfather, grandfather, and father had done, which was to go and set up a business to work for myself, and so I left that group to come to Calgary and start up my own business.
1: So you mentioned that uh, you were sitting at the offices of Goldman Sachs and looking through the out the window and uh, saw all those uh, marvelous office buildings in in New York in Manhattan, but was there also any kind of a mentor or? or um person that influenced
2: your decision to go to real estate? Well, I think my, my, uh, my father had developed a shoreline in, in, in my hometown on a, on a lakefront. And my grandfather talked about the lumber business, which is effectively a real estate business um, for years. So I think real estate was a natural place for me to gravitate towards. I just didn't know it. Until mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I think the the stuff that was in my DNA and 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 over dinners from my childhood related to these glass towers in Manhattan that were so salacious to me, so beautiful, so exciting, so so, and and so that all collided at the same time, and that's when I decided I need to go back to graduate school and study this subject.
1: Great. Uh, Scott, we reached our first commercial break. I encourage our listeners to open a new tab and go to www.aspenproperties.ca and check out the Addison page and its uncommon areas. Uh, We will be back with you at the other side of the commercials.
0: tuned into taking care of business with david wallach to reach the program today please call 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 you may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com that's d-i-v-i wallach at gmail.com now back to this week's show
1: We're back with our guest, uh, Scott Hutchison, Executive Chairman of Board of the Board of Aspen Properties. So, Scott, before we went on commercial, you mentioned a few things that kind of uh, I, I wrote down to myself. You mentioned you th- were in Florida for five years. You're running golf courses and kind of uh, a king in your own domain. Um, and then you decide to come to Calgary. Um, why Calgary? You're from Ontario. Calgary is on the west side. It's nineties. It's just after this big recession, why Calgary?
2: You know um, what was appealing about Alberta was was what we referred to in the olden days as the Alberta Advantage, and and that was a business-friendly environment with a low tax rate, and um, a very well-educated, youthful um, population base, and opportunities in the hydrocarbon business to grow our province, and and it this this prov- this community of Calgary. Um, really is founded on entrepreneurial thinking in the oil and the gas industry over time. Things are changing a little bit today, uh, but, but that was both appealing in terms of the business environment. It was quite affordable, much more affordable than the other cities in Canada. And it was close to the mountains and the mountains are close to my heart. So that combination of great business environment and great recreation for me uh, suited me perfectly.
1: Uh, the other uh, comment you made before uh, we uh, took the commercial break was that uh, the entrepreneurship spirit kind of started to grow in, in inside you and you made a decision not just to move to a new territory but also to start your business so mm-hmm. share with us that kind of process of you know two big decisions
2: like this mm-hmm. so so when you're working for someone else and you know that at some point you're supposed to work for yourself, and they offer you things like a partnership someday, but that doesn't come soon enough. <laughs> you, you get antsy. And that truly was for me, you know, I, I knew I was supposed to be a partner, but I wasn't willing to wait long enough to make that happen. So I knew the best route was to to be to be my own partner and to take my own destiny into my own hands. and and uh, so I, I um, somebody decided that it was okay to invest in me at 37 years old. And I got very fortunate that that that, that uh, businessman was prepared to back me if I moved to Calgary to start a real estate business. And uh, um, I'm grateful for, th- for that opportunity.
1: I see. So uh, you moved to Calgary and you immediately start your uh, Aspen properties?
2: Yes. I was in a, a friend's boardroom for, for the first three months with a cell phone and um, really no ability to do uh, to spend much money and um, no operating budget and a small salary and the opportunity really to to convince some um, some some folks to invest in 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 a business plan and um, and so it was it was very humble beginnings in, in 1990 exactly 20 years ago today Uh, Last week. (laughs) So, you know,
1: this show is all about entrepreneurship. Mm. And um, going back now 20 years and a week, Mm -hmm. uh, let's go back in time. What were your priorities when you sat there in the boardroom with your cell phone by yourself? What were your priorities at that time?
2: You know, it's a really good question because I, I I think it's a fundamental belief in your in where you're supposed to be in life. Because if I look back 20 years ago and ask myself, what were all the things I had going for myself? And and how was I gonna build a company? It was more a fundamental belief in myself and and the opportunities in this environment to find value-add circumstances that I could make some money at. But if I look back today, I go, I was crazy. Like, what, 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 what? how did I have the self-confidence to do some of the things I did? And, and I think that's what entrepreneurs often do is they they take these big risks and they don't really know they're taking the risks because they believe in themselves and they believe in some fundamentals and some principles that, that will take them from A to, to B. But I, I look back and I go, I, I wouldn't take those same risks today.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, So if I come to you and I want you to back me up, you won't take those risks because someone did it to you.
2: You know, I've actually learned in the last 20 years that every time that I invested in my friends, I lost money.
1: But they're still your friends, or you also lost friendship.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, m- most of them I'm still friends with. But it, that's a good point too. <laughs> Not the same level of friends. I, I, I honestly have lost uh, money in almost every investment with a friend. And um, so today, if you come to me and ask to me for me to invest in you, you're a friend. So you've got one strike against you. Yeah, I see. Okay, <laughs> let me take you off the list. Of <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, so. Uh, You know, you have someone backing you up. You have a small office space that someone shared with you or allowed you to use. What were the challenges to make the first steps and and be recognized as, I own this, I do this, this is my name in the market? What were the first challenges 20 years ago?
2: So I'd returned to Canada after a number of years, um, and you have to build a brand. You have to build a reputation uh, you've got to convince individuals to back you financially and as a young person you don't have a brand yet and and so i got i got very fortunate there was a a, a local director of my company that agreed a, a local businessman with a huge credibility by the name of Harold Malawski and Harold agreed to be on sit on my board and because Harold was so well regarded Um, And he agreed to work on my board. I was able to be in the marketplace and talk about Harold and I as as an organization. And that helped build the very beginning steps of my business was that you have to find a way to build credibility. Mm -hmm. And if, if you're just a guy without a story. You, you can't build credibility. You won't be able to buy buildings. You won't be able to raise the capital necessary. The the brokerage community is not going to allow you to tie up an asset because you don't have credibility. And I was very fortunate. Harold shared a lot of wisdom with me and a lot of credibility.
1: So your first challenge was building a brand and, and get recognition by the industry that you are a player.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What are the challenges today, 20 years later? The 2.65 million square feet? Over 2,300 uh, parking stalls, an iconic building like the Calgary uh, Tower, mm-hmm. which is lower than most of buildings today, mm-hmm. <laughs> office towers. Mm-hmm. But what are the challenges today?
2: I think the the, the big challenges today are to stay disciplined, um, stay stay focused on what what has made you what you are, combined with not getting lethargic in 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 an old value system that you might have had. So so there's so many you, you have to be a continuous learner to be good at today's business environment. If you determine that that you're gonna stick completely to an old value system and what made you do what you did in the olden days, you will be disrupted today. So it's it's picking the old values that still work and challenging yourself to be disruptive of your own business and innovative. Um, decision-making process compare to uh,
1: 1998 to 2018. I'm very
2: lucky. We've, we've got a great story at Aspen. And um, so my partner, Greg Guado and I can make our decisions uh, together with capital partners. And so when you bring a deal to, to Aspen, Greg and Scott can sit down and say yes or no, ninety-eight percent of the time. And is consensus or one takes over the other? We're we, we've been we've been very fortunate. We've been together eighteen years or something like that. And we always find a way to agree. We we um he has got great ideas and, and I have some ideas and and when those ideas collide, they, they tend to, to gel into something interesting that both of us can work through. Uh, I, I do not recall in 18 years disagreeing with my partner. Oh, I see. Um, so you
1: get into the office uh, arena, the uh, office buildings arena, and you start buying properties uh, in Alberta in both cities, Calgary and Edmonton. And everything is going well. Uh, between 98 and 2008 and then 2008, September, October happens mm-hmm. and a global recession starts and hits. Um, how did you guys share with us what happened in the boardroom in those
2: days? Mm-hmm. So we we had um, just north of $2 billion of assets and we were uh, of the view that the market was going to correct. and. We were able to convince our capital partners of that and just before the correction happened in the spring we sold a billion dollars of the portfolio at the peak of the market and and frankly that market uh from 2008 to 2018 a decade later has never been at the same valuation numbers so we sold at the very peak of the market um, in the last 25 years, and and we sold half our portfolio, and and there's there's calls you make in your business career, um, and and I've and although we we really felt this was the time to sell, you also look back at that and say we're we're quite fortunate to have to have made the decisions we did in that regard.
1: However, you, you were under construction at that time as well, mm-hmm. when. Vacancy was going up. There Mm -hmm. was no activity. Mm -hmm. Um, How did you guys manage that?
2: Well, those are challenging moments because we we built a 300,000 square foot, $130 million, $120 million uh, office building, and it wasn't getting leased. And we had to be patient and be disciplined and not take The worst deals in the market, we had to wait till the the market corrected a bit before we did some some leasing deals. And I will say we did a number of leasing deals at very low numbers before the market completely corrected. And, 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 you know, something I'd really like to leave with anybody that's in the business world that, that that gets to live long enough, there are cycles. And you're never going to make every decision right at, at the peak of the market. And you're never going to make every decision um, right at the bottom of the market. And and, and so, so um, one thing that I've, I've often said, and I, I, I really like to say, because lots of people called us really smart in 2008, You're never as smart as you look when the market's up. (laughs) And you're never as stupid as you're going to look when the market's down. And the market's down right now in Calgary. And we're not that stupid to be in this business. And and we weren't as smart as we looked when we sold a billion dollars of assets. But you get up every morning and you put one foot in front of the other and you do your very best with the fundamentals of your business. And hopefully over a career, you will have made some really good decisions at the right times. And some pretty good decisions at the wrong times.
1: Let's get a uh, let's take a break, and 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 uh, I want to ask you something about the industry itself, um, um, not about uh, your entrepreneurship or, or Aspen. So if I today or. Someone who listens to the show wants to get into the real estate arena. It's a different arena than 20 years ago. How do you see the office market specifically, because you're tapped into the office market, changing mm-hmm. in the next decade?
2: Mm-hmm. So, uh, really big dynamics are 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 going to play out in the next uh, decade in the office business. D- let me start with who is our tenant today. It it is not a uh, it, it is it is a millennial. 50% of the market in 2020 will be millennials. And those millennials want a cool workplace. They don't want the old, stayed, um, giant, granite building that's formal. They want something less formal. They want to bring their dogs to work. They want to have recreation around that, that property. They want to have um, uh, opportunities to do different things in their office space then when I grew up, when I grew up, I wore a tie every day. And I wore a suit that looked like my boss's, and it was dark, and a white shirt. And I wore a Brogues. And, um, you know, lots of guys still today do that. At, 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 but, you know, I'm, I'm in my 50s. Uh, the millennial doesn't want to do that. The millennial wants to come to work with high cut running shoes, they do not want to have to look formal. They want to have an informal work environment. They want to work more flexible hours, and they want lots of amenities in their building. And so I think the whole world has changed on, in terms of what does your office building offer the millennial versus um, the olden days when, when we had to have um, very formal work environments.
1: So that brings me to talk about uh, your new develop, not development, redevelopment of uh, the uncommon areas, which is not a common uh, Mm -hmm. phrase in in our industry. So we will talk uh, more about this uh, after the uh, the break. But um, you know, one last question before we go into the second commercial break is why buy the Calgary Tower? It's not an office building. It's is it an ego thing?
2: what's the motivation well it it came with a city block that we purchased so we bought a block called the Palliser block and it had a million square feet of office space on it and somewhere tucked into that block was this uh, this this uh, tourist attraction called the Calgary Tower and we couldn't carve that out of the of the, the the buying decision so we inherited a restaurant and a tourist attraction uh, in in the larger block of, of assets, office assets that we bought. So it had nothing to do with the ego and it had nothing to do with our core strength as an operator. And how is it working? Well, what we did is we decided that it, because we're real estate guys, we're not operators of restaurants, we would re- lease the restaurant out to somebody that's really good at the restaurant business. And, and so we got rid of 70 employees in the restaurant business. And we turned it into a long-term lease as opposed to an operating revenue. And we, 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 we didn't have to do things that we don't do well. So it, it's working out really well. In fact, we, we think the Calgary Tower has tripled its value in a decade. Perfect. Uh, well, that depends on the buyer.
1: We reached our second commercial break. When you open the new tab at uh, www.aspenproperties.ca, go to the Aspen Properties Corporate Responsibility page, uh, where you can learn about their commitment to the community, environment, and more. Follow them on Instagram and connect with them on LinkedIn. We'll meet you here on the other side of the commercials.
0: Today's Hot Topics. You are tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's d i v i wallach at gmail.com now back to this week's show
1: we're back for the last portion of today's taking care of business with our uh, with my guest scott hutchison co-founder and executive chairman of the board of aspen properties uh before we went on commercial we asked you about the changing arena of the office uh, uh, kind of uh, office buildings and uh, i looked at your website and i found the uncommon areas so is Aspen going now to be investing in changing their own portfolio in terms of the layout of the buildings, uh, the amenities in the buildings? Is it's, this what you find as the next
2: phase for Aspen? Yeah, I I, I think that that um, you know you, as I said earlier, you can't look at what the traditional office building is going forward. There's going to be a very different um, a group of packages that. That, that we need to offer the next generation of, of um, office workers. And so on a building that we call the Edison, for example, um, we put a golf simulator into the building. It'll that, That'll that be active. This building we've completely repositioned in the market. It was an old office building. It was 40 years old. And, and so we've come into the market. We bought this building effectively empty. And, and so... What we're doing is we're putting we put a basketball court in on the mechanical floor um, because we had the height to be able to do that. We put a, a dog park on the third floor outside with an outdoor area so that dogs can come to work. Dogs can go onto the dog park area. They can do their business during the day. Our tenants can bring their dogs to the office. They don't have to go out on the street and pick up. Um, we've got we've got a golf simulator. We've got great fitness. We put bicycles in the building that, that our tenants can use with GPS systems on them. Um, we're really trying to offer. We, we've got a, a beer keg going into a tenant floor, just for our tenants that will be available on tap certain hours of the day, so our tenants can just go. Sorry, which the- hours? Uh, (laughs) tenants and and, and owners and their friends okay yes um so we'll have a happy hour where beer is offered to our tenants um we probably can't leave that keg completely open 24 7 (laughs) for the liabilities associated so we're doing some really different things that that traditionally you wouldn't think about in the office environment uh we got ping pong tables we got we got all sorts of fun that's So, so happen. you
1: see that as a trend that will
2: come into the uh, traditional office space. We do and it it's not going to be for everyone. Yeah. There's but but we're still seeing with an office building like this that the accounting firms and the law firms and the banks are looking at this building as as a possibility because the traditional businesses still have to attract the next generation and that's what those guys want let's go back uh now to uh done with real estate
1: let's go back now to uh aspen and, and your entrepreneurship uh kind of uh journey i i noticed on your uh, website also the mission vision and the core values and they're very nice and i recommend everybody to look at them how do you take those from the wall or from the website mm-hmm. and bring them into the office into day-to-day employment and and kind of commitment. Mm-hmm.
2: Well it really starts with what do you believe in? And and if you if you put mission and vision statements forward as an organization that doesn't really truly come from your heart, you've got no opportunity to to execute on them. So you have to find out what's your management team feel deeply um, active about what do they feel they want to do as a business and if you start there you can develop as a as a management team uh, missions and mission mission and a vision statement that works for you and from that day forward everything you reference has to go back to some of the values that you respect and the principles that you respect so you're your end of year awards should be given based upon the value system that your company has articulated. And if you can't reflect back and use those values as part of your culture and picking the champions of your business to reward them, then you've got nothing.
1: In 1998, 20 years ago. Did you have mission, vision, purpose, core values, or it was just a business plan and let's let's roll the dice and start
2: moving forward? Yeah, I think as an entrepreneur, you just start. And, uh, and And as you start to grow, you realize that my culture or my partner and I, Greg and I, have to develop a culture with a system that the rest of the team can reflect on. But as an entrepreneur in your very early stages, all you do is start up and you go, "I think I can do X," and then somebody asks you for a business plan, and then you have to write it out, <laughs> and then and then they ask you for uh, HR policy decisions. You know, how many weeks are, am I allowed, and how many days am I allowed for maternity leave, or and so you start you start developing those things later. I see. So when did you guys implement mission, vision, and core? I would no, say is. more or less, th- thirty-six months into the business. Once we had a hundred employees.
1: I see. And yeah. within three years, you had a hundred employees. Yeah. Um, mentorship. I want to ask you about mentorship. Mm. Are you? Um, do you have a mentor? Did you have a mentor over the years, growing from zero to two point six
2: million square feet or more? I I have had many. Partial mentors in my life. I've, I I I had a mentor as a ski racer, that uh, Kenny Crompton, a beautiful human that was a lawyer, and had skied for Canada.
1: A beautiful person and a lawyer. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't. Know your, I didn't he, know it happened. That's why he was a mentor.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he had it all. Uh, so so I had a I had a wonderful mentor as a young man. He, he's he's. Um, uh, he's not with us today um, but but you know as I grew up I, I learned that nobody was perfect and so everybody that has mentored me in small ways um, has has pieces of their personality that is worth studying and 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 becoming a mentee of, but I haven't, as an adult, found the perfect mentor, because I don't think they're out there. None of us are perfect. But what you have to do is expose yourself to as much leadership as you can in the community and find personality traits and value systems that resonate for you and then pick them from various individuals. So I, I would say today, I don't have a mentor, but you know I, I love a guy by the name of Brian Faleski who does beautiful work for our community every day he's he wakes up in the morning and and jim gray these guys wake up in the morning and they find out ways to make our community better those those beautiful values mentor me to be thinking more about our community every day but but i don't have one mentor to answer your question
1: um You know, it just led me to my next question, Mm -hmm. which is your involvement in uh, different boards. Um, Do you know how many boards you serve on right now? I think seven. Okay. And it's a mixture of industry and community. Mm -hmm. Um, How important is it to an entrepreneur to be involved in, you know, community boards, industry boards? Because as an entrepreneur, at the end of the day, you kind of... At the top of the helm, you,
2: you you spend a few hours on on work itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, you know, I th- I think I think for each of us that are given great gifts, and 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 most of us can find those gifts. Any of the spare time you have um, to go outside of your business, you you owe a duty back to the community. But but there's more to it than that. The more you give, the more you get. And so I I learned. A number of years ago that that I had a duty because because I've been given a lot from our community. So I had a duty to give back to the community. But I quickly learned that every time I stepped out and I sat on a committee uh, working with Calgary Economic Development and you, for example, on a committee, we get more back from the work we do on that community than I could ever imagine in the early days. So so my a lot of my personal growth comes through my volunteer work. And it and um and my personal growth and my business has flattened out quite a bit. So if you could jump out and you volunteer for another board, there's a lot of personal growth and professional growth that you can get from that board that's outside of your regular duties. So it's, you know, when you sit on on boards or committees or volunteer as a in any capacity, I think that's a really important piece because not only are you giving, you're getting a lot. Interesting. Um, I won't ask you which
1: board you enjoy the most because some of them may listen. But uh, mm-hmm. I saw that you're involved in ski, in art, in real estate, in in and. Uh, Education. Education. So kind of a whole gamut of, of, of items. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that was very interesting to see on your uh, on your bio and, and read about it. Uh, but as much as I know you, I didn't know that you're involved in so many. Uh, um, let's go back to Aspen. Um, 2018, uh, Calgary and Edmonton suffered from a uh, I would say an island recession because mm-hmm. nobody else in Canada felt the recession the way we did, and especially the office uh, market. What is? Can you share with us what's one of or two of Aspen
2: priorities for 2018? Mm-hmm. So let, let's um, let's reposition assets in ways that will be better suited to the next decade, and that is some of the things I've talked about. Um, but let's let's uh, let's look at what what is the, the impact of driverless cars, for example? And there's many things that that will change in the built environment. So what are the things that are going to happen inevitably in the next 10 years? And how do we get ahead of the curve to address the needs that are coming towards us? And not just in one building, but in our entire portfolio. So there's, there's lots of trends that we have to look to, and put ourselves in a position to address those trends in advance
1: Scott what keeps you awake at night um, except of two boys
2: no they're, they're good they're good today they're, they don't they don't keep me awake I, as a father they will always keep you awake yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, yeah, good point good point thank you um, they're the most important thing in my life of course uh, and, and and my extended family so A big concern for me today is false news. A big concern for me today is is that our current society is intolerant of differing views. And because of the internet and how media and journalism is created today, if I have a radical view, I can go to a certain site and that radical view will be reinforced to be good. And it doesn't matter what that radical view is, whether it's religion or um, some, some, some very different philosophy, um, uh, left or right. I can find a website that tells me that I'm reinforced in all the positive ways about why I'm right. And, some, and, and we're, so we're working off of differing facts today. Your facts, quote-unquote, are not my facts. And, and this has created a, 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 a generation where we're, the left is farther left and the right is farther right because the facts aren't the facts. So the false news, the ability to reinforce value systems that are radical, and the inability to, to, to discuss subjects of disagreement, Those cultural points colliding together today are creating intolerance. They're creating a society that that is not pulling in the same direction. And if we work off of different facts, quote unquote, we don't get to build a society the way a generation did before us. And that really concerns me.
1: Scott, I want to take you uh, to 2035, okay? So we're now in 2035. So when you look back at time, what would have you liked to accomplish?
2: Um, Create a give back to our community that makes a difference. So uh, as a leader at Aspen, can I make a difference in the lives of some of our employees through my actions, either through a value system or principles or or conduct or giving or compassion? Um, and and likewise, in the broader community of where we have a responsibility to, to be engaged as leaders, uh, what can I do that makes Calgary, or Canada, or athletics, or the arts, or educational uh, elements of the world that I'm engaged in. How how do those th- how do I impact those um, those communities? And I won't make sea changes in those worlds, but I hope that my walk through uh, our business community is that that we're teaching younger people or people around us how to do things in a positive way.
1: We we have two minutes left yes. for the end, end of this interview and I have a couple of questions. And So a lot of partnerships blow up. What have you learned over this journey about your partner or partners?
2: A good deal can get ruined by a bad partner. <laughs> a bad deal can get worked through with a good partner. And... The most important thing that you can do as a young entrepreneur is try and find the A team. Every time I work with the A team, we win. And every time I work with the B team, we lose. So find the A team. How, how do you know who the A team is? In about 20 minutes, maybe 10 minutes of a meeting, you're either engaged with that person. The first time I met David Wallach, I went, he's the A team. We, we we met at a restaurant, a club, uh, a, a, you know, an, an eating club, a private dining club, and within ten or fifteen minutes, five minutes, I went. David's the A team. This guy engages me. We have something in co- we have stuff in common, and he's exciting. And find the A team. Surround yourself with the A team, and find perfect partners. Because if you have bad partners, you'll never win.
1: What have you learned about yourself? through this journey from 1978 being on a ski team to today?
2: I'm still learning how to be more mature That <laughs> never going to happen right. more, more, more calm more patient um, uh, a better teammate all the time uh, and collect wisdom through your mistakes the only way you find wisdom is by making mistakes don't be afraid to make them and then don't be afraid to look back and see what you've learned. So the one
1: positive advice you can give a new entrepreneur as a mentor?
2: Check your gut and follow your gut. Follow your gut.
1: That's a summary. Well, that's a perfect. <laughs> I'm 100% with you. So, well, Scott, uh, I don't know if you noticed it, but we got to the end. We're at the end of our show. I uh, hope you had fun. Uh, I definitely had fun uh, interviewing you and, and discussing with you. Um, I would like to thank you, Scott, for hosting me and and, uh, and being kind of so open and honest with your answers. Um, I would like to thank our dedicated engineer, Aaron, and Cassandra, our production PR manager. Thank you all for tuning in. We appreciate the growing support by our listeners. I would love to hear from you. Uh, please send me your feedback and also guest suggestions to dvwallack at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, like us on Facebook, and connect with me on LinkedIn. We'll meet you here at voiceamerica.com variety next Tuesday, January 16th at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific. Your host, David Wallach.